Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. On May 20th, 1873, something monumental happened. Do you know what that was? Well, unless you are a blue collar fashion history enthusiast, you wouldn't because it's not like the day become a national holiday or anything. This was a historic day because it was the birth of the blue jean. Let's back up a second, though, since the story's worth telling. Levi Strauss was a Bavarian-born dry goods merchant who came to San Francisco in 1853 at the age of 24. His plan was to open a West Coast branch of his brother's New York wholesale dry goods business. By the time he'd turned 40, he'd built his business into a very successful operation, making a name for himself as a well-respected businessman and a local philanthropist. One of Levi's customers was a tailor named Jacob Davis. One day, the wife of a local laborer had asked Jacob to make a pair of pants for her husband that wouldn't fall apart. It was really common for pockets to tear off of blue jeans from the daily abuse that they were subjected to from heavy objects hanging off of their pocket openings. Jacob tried to think of a way to strengthen the trousers and had come up with the idea to put metal rivets at the points of strain, like pocket corners and the bases of the button fly. The riveted pants were an instant hit. Jacob quickly decided to take out a patent on the process because while you can't copyright or patent a sewing pattern, you can, however, patent the riveting process. But see, Jacob needed a business partner to get the project rolling, and he immediately thought of Levi Strauss, from whom he'd bought the cloth to make the riveted pants. Davis wrote a letter to Strauss to suggest that the two men hold the patent together. Levi, being an astute businessman, saw the potential for this new product and agreed to Jacob's proposal. The two men received patent 139-121 from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office on May 20th, 1873. And that was the day that Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis obtained the patent on the process of putting rivets in men's work pants for the very first time. Soon, the first riveted clothing was made and sold. Levi Strauss made their first jeans out of denim, which was the traditional fabric for men's workwear. Within a very short time, the jeans were a huge success, although we should know that they were not called jeans. They were called waist overalls or overalls until about 1960 when you baby boomers listening adopted the name jeans. Now, denim pants had been around as workwear for many years, but Levi's loves to claim ownership over the invention of the blue jeans simply because of the riveting process. If you own a pair of Levi's, you may look at them a bit differently now, knowing now that they're the intentional invention of two visionary immigrants who turned denim, thread, and little pieces of scrap metal into what has become the most popular apparel on earth. Imagine if Levi had decided it wasn't a good idea to sell the jeans as a product in his supply store. What if he told Jacob Davis to sell them elsewhere, solely because the jean wasn't exactly in his business plan? When we think of our businesses, 
We sometimes get tunnel vision surrounding the products that we've chosen to curate or the services that we've planned to offer. I know for me, my business has morphed slightly over the years and monumentally over the past year because of the pandemic, but as the brand I want to create has become more fleshed out, one thing has become clear. Expanding my offerings has 10x'd my business. At the moment, my brick and mortar business has four working divisions that all do sewing. It takes seven different machines and 2,000 square feet to do so and a minimum of two full-time employees to keep that running, but four in a perfect world. But at the top of 2020, I expanded into the digital space. See, I launched my online course called The Six-Figure Sewing Pattern as a response to the never-ending inbox of questions, with the common theme of those questions being like, how do I make money at sewing? This had instigated a year long of me building the course, and I joined a mastermind with Tony Robbins and my mentor to learn how to do so. And then the pandemic happened, and making sure my business stayed in business took 80 to 100 hour hours a week for nearly two years straight. <laughs> and that was really hard, and I'm glad that it's behind me. But regardless, I wanted to relaunch out of beta for the online course and get moving on offering the course to people who knew how to sew, but didn't know how to make money from it. In late 2020, I also launched a paper product called The Wardrobe Blueprint. Um, It was totally just born out of stay-at-home orders. (laughs) It's a sewing planner, and I'm still beyond proud of what I created because I personally sat with numerous others and can confidently say that mine's the best on the market across the board. But creating a paper product was not only an extension of the online brand I wanted to build, But it also acts as a first product purchase for people who are new to my content and business because of its price point. And finally, this past month, after months of finalizing, yeah, finalizing the content and designing slides and arguing with hosting platforms and recording course content and editing that content and re-uploading it and letting it buffer for days, I got to relaunch my online course. I left the doors open for a full week. I published content. I sent emails and answered questions all day, every day for eight days. The verdict? I gained three times the amount of students that I had expected. And between my service-based business that both creates products and offers sewing labor, which is now coming up on its five-year anniversary, (laughs) and my digital product business, I've spotted three rules that have consistently worked in helping me diversify my business and growing it well beyond what I'd ever expected. So I've told you enough stories (laughs) on the value of diversifying your business and your offerings. I want to give you these three rules. You ready? Rule number one, emails drive sales. Email is the number one way to drive profits in your business. I don't care if it's product or service-based. I don't care if you're selling products on Etsy or if you have an alterations business. If you are not building and serving, underline that word in your brain as you hear it, an email list in real time alongside your business, you are missing out. Did you know that the majority of Americans check their email within three minutes of waking up every single morning? Like, think about that. That is algorithm proof. There's no such thing as like having to scroll through all of the ads to reach your email. That's not this. Like, yeah, there are times when you shouldn't be blowing up somebody's inbox, 
But two, there are optimal times for sending emails. And if you are not trying to curate an email list and offering your audience something just for the privilege of getting to pop into their inbox once a week or once every two weeks, you are absolutely missing out on sales completely. For instance, I have a pretty well-sized email list at this point. For me, my email list does not consist of people that need my sewing services. I've been able to use my email list to cultivate and grow other people just like me. Because see, somebody just like me doesn't need my services. They're other seamstresses. They're other business owners, okay? My business is already grown and established. So because the brand I wanted to create serves other designers and seamstresses and tailors, then my email list is providing an opportunity to expand the offerings beyond my brick and mortar business, Music City Sewing. See, my business itself, we've built that up to be busy enough. But as I've expanded into this online space, I realize that my ideal customer is more like me and less like the people that I've been serving for close to five years. So by using emails and creating an email list that I serve, I pop into the inbox of lots and lots of people every week on average and serve them. I have been given the privilege of getting to sell to them once or twice a year. Now, hear me out. Most marketing emails that you receive are freaking overwhelming because it's just a hard sell all the time. So take that with a grain of salt that I'm not encouraging you to develop an email list and blow people up over your offerings and your services and your sales and discounts and new products. I'm saying by creating a list that you serve relentlessly, you are allowing yourself to pivot should you need to. Um, or to, vers- to diversify your business should you come up with a new product that your ideal audience may completely love and adore. So my first tip for diversifying your business would be to create an email list and create an email list with your dream client in mind and find 10 ways to serve them just with tiny, tiny emails. It doesn't have to be crazy. I happen to be a long-winded person, so I started a podcast. (laughs) But your emails don't have to be that. Think of them as just quick little love notes that you're dropping in the inbox of your dream customers every week and create ways that you can make their lives easier or better or add value for them. For example, If you're a dressmaker and you make custom dresses for people, then take all of the pain points and turn those into solutions in your emails, such as the secret to choosing the perfect fabric for your wedding dress, what your dressmaker wish you knew about sizing and measurements, the number one question you get as a couture designer. All of these things actually make your life easier in the end if this ideal client decides to book with you or use you later on so that yeah they may be using you just as research gathering but hey you might have just built up enough trust and that no like and trust factor for that ideal client to end up picking you just based on the rapport that you've built dropping into their inbox every one to two weeks my one final note about building an email list is when you see unsubscribes you should practically throw a party 
And here's why. It's because in marketing, we love to attract and repel. And so when somebody says, you know what, this is not for me, that is one non-ideal client getting off of your list and making way for a perfect client to join. So never be disappointed or get your feelings hurt or feel anxious if people are unsubscribing because what that means is they are not meant for you. That fish is not meant to be on your hook and you need to move on and be okay with repelling because that means that people that resonate with you who are your dream clients will stick with you and people who don't are weeding themselves out early and you're never having to tell them no later on. All right, so my second tip for diversifying your business and 10xing your revenue is that showing your face builds trust. Now this one's kind of crazy, but if you looked at the stats as far as like your best photos, you know what? Actually, let's do this together. I want you to go on your Instagram account if you have an Instagram. If not, hats off to you. But if you've got one like all the rest of us, go onto your Instagram and I want you to visit your last 10 photos and tell me which one got the most likes. Most likely, Nine times out of 10, the photos with the most likes are the ones that show your face. Photos where you show your face and make eye contact with the camera with who is scrolling through that feed get way more conversion and engagement than any other kind of photo. So no, it may not fit with your color palette or your theme or the vibe you're trying to communicate, but hey, the more you show up, the more likely it is that whoever is looking at your account or finding you on Instagram or on TikTok or in emails or wherever you decide to conduct business and tell the world about your services and products, the more likely they will know, like, and trust you. In my course launch, how I did this was I showed up in live stories at least 12 to 15 times a day. Shout out to Hillary Krieger. She is my email uh, launch integrator and she's absolutely immaculate. She's amazing. And she gave me this tip. Um, And I knew all of the Instagram data to be true. I know that this has worked in every other facet for my business, but when I rolled out my course launch, I paid special attention to showing my face and it absolutely worked because people don't trust people that they can't see their faces. So if the entire online internet presence that you have barely ever shows who you are, you are making it extremely difficult to get potential ideal customers into your your um, your funnel and to get them into your following and be able to give them and provide them offers and provide them with data and service and ways that make their lives easier because you have to win them over. And nine times out of 10, in order to win them over, they've got to see your face. So that's my second tip for increasing my business based on diversifying. Showing my face allowed me to pivot into different directions, whether that was offering small batch manufacturing during the pandemic, um, or even just like, hey, like working with my rockstar clients, like the more that they see me, even their management teams, the more that they see me in social, they're like, oh, we trust her. She's normal. She's not crazy. We're going to hire her. So it works. It absolutely does work. So show your face. Share, share with your audience what you're planning to create or test with your audience. You can split test. You can offer quizzes in your social media. Like who would be interested if I offered this product? It's an add-on or it's a lower cost product or hey, this is a more expensive cost product. If I made this, would you buy one right now with the dollars that you have? And by showing up authentically as yourself and making eye contact with the camera, you will get people's real responses. You will not 
get real, true, honest responses by showing dreamy, constant product photos. You'll get real responses by putting in FaceTime with the camera, showing up regularly, and genuinely asking people if they're interested in your new offering or service. Tip three, my final rule for what works in trying to diversify your income and diversifying your offerings. The last one, (laughs) don't chase the sale. If it's not a good product, it's not a good product. Um, But I can tell you that I have done more revenue and I've done more sales by not chasing them because, hey, we do not chase, we attract. (laughs) So my advice to you would be do not chase the sale. It's okay to say, hey, guys, my business exists. Um, This is what I'm doing and I love doing it and here's why and here's my story and curating stories to sell your products and your services. It's not okay to say, I really need help going in business or I really need you guys to buy from me in order for me to succeed. No one likes that. You're running people off. So don't chase the sale, okay? Test your audience for your new offering or your new idea before investing time in creating it to make sure that the demand is there or that you can actually do marketing surrounding the idea and people will bite. So don't chase the sale. You will attract way more, 10 times more than you will by chasing each individual sale. Um, I had numerous people saying that they'd planned to buy my course, and I said, that's amazing. Please let me know if you have any questions. Um, The cart closes Thursday night at midnight central, and I just kept reiterating that. Not a single one did I go back to and say, hey, it closes. Hey, did you buy? Hey, don't forget, it closes at midnight. I not once, not once did I chase a single sale because that's not how I want to come across. There's no scarcity selling tactics here. There's no, um, there's no, uh, like, how dare you? You said you would. Nothing like that. It's all warmth and it's all open and it's all from this place of abundance because. Like, I mean, newsflash, like the offering is a diversification, teaching others how to get the success that I've gotten. I don't need the sale. It's an out of abundance and education and a call to education that I'm even offering it. So by chasing sales, it wouldn't even be in alignment with who I am and authentically me and what I wanted to offer to the world. So the result of that I sold way, way, way more than I thought I would. And for the most part, what I did notice was the names that kept showing up in the the purchase transactions were people that I specifically said, hey, if this is where you're at, then the course is not for you. (laughs) And I think that's hilarious because I got really, really clear with the people who were curious about the course about who it wasn't for. Listen, if you're in this position, please do not buy my course. If you're going to go into debt buying my course, please do not do it. That is not what I want for you in your life and your career and your household or anything. And so for me, what my decision-making factor was in terms of how I came across in my marketing was, was no, 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 no. I want the best for you across the board. I want the best for you, so I want you in my course because I know you're going to benefit from it, but I want the best for you in your household, so I'm going to tell you don't buy it if that's it's going to put you out, if it's going to put you in a bad situation. Um, And it's so funny because that candor and that straightforward um, approach, people were like, oh my gosh, like you you are who you say you are. Um, And that built more trust, which brings me back to, to tip number two, but being real and authentic with them, even if it would technically have cost me that sale if they were what I was saying, 
um, actually ended up building my business even further and allowing me to diversify even further. Um, And the cool part about that is the more trust that I've built up in all of those conversations, the more I get to diversify my business even further. Like I'm already building my next course idea based on all of the knowledge that I'm getting asked from a completely different audience. So yeah, Tip number three, do not chase. You can attract. Do not chase your sales um, because doing so will give you more ideas for more products um, should the product that you're offering not be the right one for who you're speaking to or marketing to. Um, And then two, it's just it puts you in a much more peaceful place to be selling from and you're not selling from scarcity. So it allows you to diversify and make bolder moves in your business. So I hope these tips were helpful to you. I'd love to hear you implement them and share what happens to your business. I would love to hear stories about it 10xing your business the way that it has mine. Um, But yeah, see you next time on the next episode of Pull the Thread. Thank you so much for listening. It's an honor to drop into your earbuds or your car speakers and ride shotgun with you on your errands or on your way to work or home from work. Um, I'm just lucky. I'm grateful for you being patient on me and getting a new episode out. It absolutely has been far, far, far too long. And I can promise you, you won't wait as long for the next episode. So tune in on the next one. You've just finished an episode of Pull the Thread. It means the world to me that you landed here and hit play. If you got something out of this podcast, please hit that subscribe button. And if you're feeling mega generous, leave a review. 